Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Phoenix, Arizona, it's time for Phoenix Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Hi, thanks for tuning in to Logitimate on Phoenix Business Radio X. I'm your host, Rochelle Poulton, and I'm the owner and credit attorney at AZ Credit Law Group here in Tempe, bringing you the full perspective on issues that I handle every day, including the tricky but fascinating topic of identity theft. So for the next two Logitimate episodes, we are covering the world of credit reporting, and today's topic is identity theft. There is a lot to cover, so let's go ahead and get started. All right, with us, we've got three awesome guests giving us their legitimate perspectives. First up, we have Kenyatta Turner, adjunct professor, public speaker, business and behavioral coach and consultant and legal shield identity theft awesomeness expert, as well as Diali Alexander with Black Shield Cyber Incorporated, defending businesses from hackers and Detective Eckerd with the Goodyear Police Department in the Property Crimes Fraud Division, and he is a crisis negotiator. So Kenyatta, why don't you tell us more about yourself, your many businesses, and why you offer Legal Shield's Identity Theft Protection Plan? Thank you, Rochelle, and I appreciate being here. So thanks for having me. And so I am a Legal Shield uh, business solutions specialist. So I basically help business owners protect their company and their employees and their families with legal services and identity theft protection. Uh, like you mentioned, I also teach at a college and I'm a behavioral coach. Awesome. So why do you do the identity theft legal shield protection? Mm. I believe everyone deserves access to protect themselves. And we live in a crazy, topsy-turvy world um, where people don't always treat people fairly. Um, they don't always do the right thing. And oftentimes, we need to be able to defend ourselves. Um, specifically, when it comes to identity theft protection, we all are going to be victims if we're not <laughs> already. And uh, the services I provide uh, really help mitigate some of that risk. I love it. All right, Diali with Black Shield Cyber, defending businesses from hackers. Tell us, what do you do, what your role is, and how you protect people's confidential information? Sure. So, um, <coughs> so I'm the CEO and chairman of the company. We're a cyber warfare company. We work with a lot of critical industries, so that's a lot of banks, medical institutions, uh, logistics, transportation, energy companies. Um, pretty much we work with the entities that make the world go round. And what we're often doing with clients is we're coming in and we're providing them full cyber warfare capabilities. So we're not just saying we're going to give you a software or a piece of technology or a piece of hardware, but we're giving them the people, the infrastructure, and all the tools they need to actually stay protected, and our people are protecting them. Um, we use the term cyber warfare because not only will we notify the client, but we will actively defend them, and we can counterattack if need be to help protect them from cyber attacks, which happen pretty often. <laughs> It's a terrifying answer. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> well, Detective Eckert, please tell us about what you do and why. Okay. Um, like you mentioned, my name is Detective Eckert. Uh, I've been an officer 16 years, so I've been specifically four years doing uh, property crimes, which has entailed obviously fraud, identity theft, embezzlement, and pretty much anything related. Wow. Tough job. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you all for uh, letting me know what you all do. So moving on to the topic of identity theft, first off, what is identity theft? Is it more of a you know it when you see it, or would you say it has a more specific definition? Kenyatta, let's start with you. Sure. Um, identity theft is basically the use of someone's information for what I call dastardly deeds. <laughs> Probably the things that he's <laughs> working with over here um, with Officer Eckert. Um, if someone's information is compromised, uh, meaning it's obtained where it shouldn't be, uh, it got through, you know, Dioli's team somehow <laughs> and people got it. It doesn't. Um, it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't. But if that ever, ever, ever would have happened, um, then the actual acquisition of the information isn't identity theft. It's when they actually go to start using it for things that they shouldn't be, um, maybe buying and selling it on the dark web or opening up accounts in people's names or there's a whole list. So yes. to me, that's kind of what identity theft is. So it's everything that isn't you. <laughs> yes, if you didn't do it or allow <laughs> it to happen, yes. Oh, <laughs> uh, Would you agree or do you have anything to elaborate on that answer, Dioli? Um I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna elaborate a little bit because I think that the definition of identity theft has gotten a little bit more hazy because quite frankly the average person has no idea where their identity actually is, yep, um, and what it's actually being used for. Um, really good example: I a good buddy of mine um, knows an NFL cheerleader, and she's a model, and and so she uh, her Instagram is her life, and 
Instagram used her pictures on some of their marketing material. And she obviously didn't consent to that. But within the Instagram's terms of user agreement, it actually says two things, which are contradictory. On one level, it says whatever you create is yours. On the other level, it says that by being on their platform, whatever is yours is also theirs. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you know, it's, it's part of that. But uh, identity theft, I mean, it's, it's taking people's information, um, which, which people have more information, and using it for your purposes without necessarily having their permission to do so. Um, maybe it's, it's for profit like Instagram does, and maybe it's for dastardly deeds like buying a boat in the Bahamas off of their credit score. Who knows? But I think the definition has gotten a little bit more hazy over the years. What about you, Detective? How would you define identity theft? Um, well, I would say I always resort back to like Title 13, so I'm going to go by with the law. Obviously, I brought it. Thir <laughs> 13 2008, taking identity of another. And I, do you want me to read the statute? Sure. Too? Just to read it outright. So that would say a person commits taking the identity of another person or entity if the person knowingly takes, purchases, manufactures, records, possesses, or uses any person identifying information or entity identifying information of another person or an entity, including real or fictitious, uh, without the consent of that person or entity with the intent to obtain or use the other person's identity for any unlawful purpose or to cause loss to a person or entity, whether or not the person or entity actually suffered any economic loss as a result of the offense with the intent to obtain or uh, with the intent to obtain or continue employment. Who well writes then. this stuff? That's what I want to know. Like, <laughs> sit down. I, I would say lawyers. <laughs> yeah. If lawyers wrote it, it would be yeah. more brief. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. And, and, uh, I mean, for me, that's what we always re resort back to. Yeah. That's the cop in me. When we're going to charge somebody, that's what we're going to look at. That's what we have to prove in court. So that would be your definition. Yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> I love it. All it's that. very legit. Yeah. <laughs> a little more <laughs> definitive than dastardly deeds. Yes. <laughs> you know, like in it. our office, we kind of consider it when someone steals your name or your driver's license number, your social security number, your medical uh, information. There's a lot of medical, like, billing fraud that happens in Arizona. Uh, student loan fraud happens quite a bit, too. So mm -hmm. you can end up having student loans taken out in your name and you haven't graduated from high school yet. So there's a lot of identity theft that kind of goes out there. It's a mm -hmm. pretty broad topic, but I do think that all of your examples are definitely it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so let's talk lingo. So what are the most common terms that you hear and tell our listeners what the heck they mean? <laughs> let's start with you, Diali. And I an identity theft or in, in I guess security information in general? Both. Oh. Like there's what is so a hacker? Much. A hacker. Okay. I actually have a personal vendetta about this um, <laughs> because I consider myself a hacker. So if we really want to be proper here. Like a white hat hacker? Yeah. If we want to be politically correct, um, <laughs> the term hacker uh, is actually used completely wrong in mainstream media. Uh, most of the time, the term hacker is used to, the, to, to talk about a criminal, to talk about somebody who, who is committing a crime or is, or is breaking into systems unlawfully. Um, but the original definition of the term hacker was actually not that at all. It was actually to talk about the good guys. In fact, by definition, hacker just means somebody who tinkers with stuff. Um, the original hackers were actually just tinkering with like model railroad uh, models and stuff like that. So they tinker with the railroad directions and tracks and change the directions and stuff like that. Um, it wasn't until mainstream media, more Hollywood, kind of put the term hacker on it that it, it kind of stuck to really more mean the bad guys. The, uh, the real term of a criminal hacker is actually called a cracker. Um, so that's, that's somebody who actually commits crimes using their, their, their skills. Um, I was actually in LA a couple weeks ago and I was talking about this vendetta because it, it's something personal to me because I, I hold the term hacker very dearly because it's part of who I am. Um, and you know, some, somebody said, well, shouldn't we put you know, a term on it? And I said, no. You know, you should just call them criminals because we don't call Bernie Madoff an unethical accountant. He was just a criminal. <laughs> 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 you know, he just happened to use accounting as his mode of crime, right? You know, we don't call a drug dealer, you know, a black hat pharmacist. <laughs> you know? they're, they're just a drug dealer. So, um, so you know, I, I'm trying to kind of change that stigma around hacker. It, it's not a criminal. A hacker is, is a skill, um, but committing a crime is committing a crime. I like it. Interesting. Yes. So who came up with Cracker? Is that like that was original hacker? Is that, that <laughs> <laughs> is that where that came Maybe? from? Maybe I don't know. So originally the term was was hacker and cracker, and it was it was distinctions. I think 
I'm pretty, and this is like the 1970s, 80s, when when these two terms kind of were Less created. Um, I would imagine that the reason why cracker went out of phase and hacker stuck is because the term cracker also means something else that most people probably don't want to say too much. Hmm. So then the term hacker just stuck, and it sounds cooler <laughs> to say <laughs> hacker. So, um, so it just stuck. And again, mainstream Hollywood did it because the first couple movies, like The Matrix and these, you know, the super techie hacker movies of people just you know, smashing away at a keyboard and then being like, I'm in the firewall, you know, as a <laughs> hacker. So they, it just kind of stuck. And I don't think people know what those things mean sometimes. <laughs> no, they, no, usually they don't. <laughs> so, Detective, what do you hear most common? I don't really know if I hear the lingo like they're hearing. Um, obviously, more like what he's – I do agree with him, more like a criminal. To me, it's breaking the law. You know, obviously, that's the cop in me still – there's the line, so I would say, but I don't know if I really hear any terminology. Awesome. Yeah. What about you, Kenyatta? Well, we hear uh, hacking all the time. We hear that, and, and from the realm that, that we discuss it is, I guess, the act of um, a the most, most common form of identity theft or a data breach, I guess, is through hacking. Mm -hmm. That's what we kind of use that language, like the act of breaking into a system and taking information that doesn't belong to you. Um, obviously, we hear data breach all the time. A lot of my clients will be hearing about it because it's always happening, probably happening somewhere right now. <laughs> and um, skimmers is another one when it comes to, you know, people being able to walk by you and take information off your credit card um, with devices. And so, you know, RFID blockers, so we hear that term as well to protect from skimming. Uh, oh, and then ransomware which is very interesting, which I believe, and someone please correct me, which is the idea of stealing data that's not yours and then holding it for ransom until yeah. someone pays for it and then you'll give it back yeah. or give something back. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. so I can, I can steal your personal information and then I can put a ransom on it. I can say, hey, you're going to pay me $5,000 to get this information back. And then when you pay me $5,000, I'll give it back to you. Now, if you do give it back to me, though, I'm definitely going to come back next year and do it again. So... That's that's the problem behind ransomware. Um, ransomware went rampant the past couple years because in 2015, 2016, I think, some genius from the FBI told people that the best thing to do was pay it, mm. um, which is kind of like telling the public that if they get robbed, the best thing to do is just to give your purse off. So mm. I'm sure that motivates robbers. Um, they now are retracting on that, saying you shouldn't pay it because there's no guarantee that you're going to get your ransomware back. But... Uh, this is, a, I guess, to speak a little bit to the morality of most criminal hackers. I think 80% of them will give you your information back if you pay for it. So you will go ahead and weigh that out. Mm, <laughs> Pareto principle. Cost-benefit <laughs> analysis. Yeah. Super rude. So who do you think is most as at risk for identity theft in your experience, detective? Um, there's going to be a bunch of different groups. Obviously, here in Arizona, we see a lot of seniors. So I'd say seniors are there. Um, I'm also seeing a lot on the young social media kids. Mm -hmm. I'm seeing a lot of Instagram scams, things like that, like get rich quick. Yeah. Seeing that, that's blowing up. Can um, you elaborate on that? Sarah's discovery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we're seeing a lot now where these kids are just out of high school. They're seeing a post, and it's usually from somebody they knew from high school, some popular person, football player, and they got it from someone else like, hey, hit me up. You got a bank account? And uh, hit me up. We can make some money. And typically they agree and meet them, whether it's at like a Circle K. They give up their uh, debit card and their PIN, and they're convinced that, hey, what's going to happen is just let me have your bank account for a couple weeks. I'm going to leave some money in it for you. It's going to and it's going to be kind of get rich quick. And that these works. kids, most kids are struggling, whether they're in college or not. the The downside is most of these bank accounts are attached to mom and dad, so. Usually, these fake checks get deposited immediately in, and then the suspects start withdrawing money. And then, by the time all those checks bounce, you're usually about ten grand or more in the hole. And then, mom and dad are stuck footing the bill because usually, that usually the kids are eighteen to twenty years old. I would say would be the target age, and they're still on mom and dad's bank account. So, sadly, I've had a bunch of those. Like last year, I want to say 20, 2018 was kind of a big year for that. So. Knock on wood, it's died down this year, which is a good thing. But wow, but yeah, not ideal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Diari? Um, so I can speak on it from a business perspective. Um, what we're seeing so one of the terms that we hear a lot is phishing, um, which is which is sending 
emails or some type of communication to someone to try to get them to do something. Uh, and we're seeing a lot more sophisticated targeting of those types of attacks towards our businesses. Um, it used to be that criminals just throw out a bunch of stuff and just kind of see what sticks to the wall. Um, we're actually seeing now where it's much more targeted and much more personalized. I was, for example, me and the detective were having a conversation before we got on here where I was telling him that um, one of the business owners that, that is our client, uh, he's a big car guy, and, and he has a couple old like Mustang Shelby cars. Um, and if you if you went on his Instagram, if you went on his Facebook, you would know that, right? But because it's all over his, his, his social media. And he got an email saying, or from Ford, you know, from, from Ford Classical Car Division, that, uh, you know, his car's VIN number is so special and they're going to uh, come out here to Arizona and bring all the people who own these older Shelbys together. And if anyone who knows about cars knows if you own something like a Shelby, it's like a little club, you know, and, and they want to invite him out, right? And, and so no big deal. And so he obviously was super excited. Yes, of course. Uh, and we hap he happened to tell me about it because we were in conversation in a meeting because I'm a car guy too. And I said, I've never heard about that. You know, let me see that email string. And we started tracing it back, and the emails were coming out of India and South Africa. Um, that's where the IP addresses were coming out of. And I said, well, you know what? Now that we're aware of it, go ahead and follow this rabbit hole down and see where it goes. And lo and behold, eventually, right before the date was to, to confirm his attendance, they said, oh, by the way, uh, we need to uh, make sure that you have insurance. And, and so can you confirm your uh, bank and routing information for us so that way we can add that to our insurance policy so that if anything were to go wrong, uh, we would take out a, a, uh, a deposit of like a thousand bucks or something like that, which again, for someone like him, that's not a big deal, you know, and he, he would have said, okay, sure. Um, but now they would have had his bank account information. They at least would have had $1,000, and in fact, they might have had the opportunity to take more money out. So they're much more targeted now, is, is what I'm noticing. They're much more targeted towards business owners and business leaders. Yikes. Yeah. Well, that's not... Yeah, and I mean, a lot of it is social <laughs> media, right? I mean, we put so much on social media, you know, it's people don't realize how much they put on social media. You know, like I sit on Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn and I see people like, oh, I'm gonna go eat at this restaurant with my family and I'm gonna go here and I just bought this and I just did that. And I can borderline trace your life, you know <laughs> what I mean, for several years and say, okay, you and your family like to eat here or you like to buy this or you're into that. I mean, you know, it's kind of given. Your whole life <laughs> footprint online. Yeah. Yeah. And that's enough to make, you know, decisions probably about how people uh, make their passwords and all that stuff yep. as well, you know, because it's everything they need to just to figure it out if they've got the time, and apparently they have the time. Yeah. That's their job. <laughs> yeah. and, and I would say even in my line of work, almost that same opposite works. Um, when I look at the older, being in Arizona, we have a, like an older community. We have a lot of retirement communities. Now, now you're talking about a generation that grew up on trust. You know, a lot of them, their oh. family fought yeah. like World War II. Like, so a lot of these people take everything at face value and it's almost the opposite. They're not, I'm seeing, at least from my victims, I'm seeing them not go online and taking people face value. I've even had talked to people that have lost $20,000 and they're like, well, he sounded like a nice guy. He had a Christian name. And I'm like, that's where they're hitting on morals. A lot of these, you know, and they're not Googling it. They're not double checking addresses and things like that. They're taking people's word for it and becoming victimized. I, I would agree with that as well um, with a lot of my uh, clients. And initially, I would say that um, a lot of elderly individuals typically can be victimized from the same reasons you're talking about. Um, and I, I think the stat, I can't remember where I saw this or heard this, um, but like one out of 11 children under the age of 18 are already victims, and their parents have no idea. And how they're getting that information is all the different ways that we're talking about that they're getting it. But if you imagine a child, you know, six-year-old's not checking the credit report or anything like yeah. that, but <laughs> they have a name, they have a social, they have a birth date, and I would assume that the thieves wouldn't be using their birth date because that wouldn't help them, but they would just attach someone else's birth date to it and someone else's address and someone else's information and create a whole brand new person and go out there. So I, I hear stories all the time of two-year-olds already filing for bankruptcy or, you know, a 12-year-old who, you know, already has, um, you know, uh, utility debt or, you know, owns yeah. a boat. And oftentimes, unfortunately, it's parents who's using their children's information, um, oftentimes. And that's also unfortunate as well. So in this day and age, it really seems to me that everyone <laughs> could be affected. I mean, it's a broad s stroke, yeah. but, you know, with companies... Um, 
you know, losing their information because they don't use Veolia service. You know, <laughs> the information is out there all over the place. And um, I, I don't I just don't think that any of us are, are safe at this yeah. point. Well, so my identity, my identity was actually stolen when I was about 10 years old. Um, and I didn't find out until I was 18 when I went to actually make my first credit card. I went to Best Buy and I wanted to make a credit card because I wanted to get a new computer. And they were like, you already have a credit card. It's been on for like five years. Mm. <laughs> um, and yeah, now now I will tell you that the worst person to hack is a hacker. So um, I had a field day with that. But, you know, as I talked about earlier, people's information are is in more places than ever before. And that's part of the problem. So. And detective, you might be able to speak on this as well. But what we're also starting to see is that people's identities aren't stolen directly as much as maybe a company had a failure and they dumped a bunch of data and your number just happened to be in it. Mm -hmm. um, and if you look at things like Equifax and Target and Macy's and Sony and, and you know all those different things, and and the way that these the way that this data is sold on the dark web, by the way, is on packages. Like you can go on the dark web and say, I want to buy a package of a thousand random names and a thousand random addresses and a thousand random credit card numbers, and it's a hundred bucks each, uh, and maybe it's on sale for ninety five ninety nine, right? And it all just kind of comes together. So, but you don't know that, right? You you didn't consciously do something stupid to get your identity stolen, and instead you went to a grocery store, you went to the doctor, you went to wherever, and, and it, that place got breached and your data was just part of it. So I think part of it is people should probably take a little bit more scrutiny as to where their data's going. Mm. And credit monitoring. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's out there. A lot of things. So, you know, how would you say that identity theft impacts a person's life? How would you... Oh man, I have a list. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Well, I, I think that first, um, there's many ways. <coughs> excuse me, that identity theft manifests, and and it's everything from credit fraud and tax fraud, medical fraud, minor identity theft fraud, criminal character fraud, and so um, and and most people think that it's credit fraud and financial fraud that's the biggest form of identity theft, and it is not. It's actually medical fraud, um, and medical companies and businesses lose more data than, than anything else. So because it manifests in so many different ways, it can affect you in a lot of different ways. And I think from, uh, and we also find um, in my business with Legal Shield uh, that 70% of identity theft issues incur a legal issue. And that alone causes issues because now you need attorneys. <laughs> <laughs> so, and attorneys can be costly um, if you don't have friends like I do, <laughs> you know, who are attorneys. However, um, I think that when, when these things happen, there's a feeling of violation, there's frustration, there's anger, which causes stress, which causes health issues, which causes uh, the inability to stay focused. It, um, it causes absenteeism at work or school. It causes presenteeism. When you at, are at work and school and you're distracted because you're trying to think about these things that have happened, I think it can cause family strife and embarrassment. It can cause, you know, if someone in the family blames the person in the family because they did put something crazy, TMI, on social media, and they feel like that's where the information was stolen from. I mean, I just think it causes a lot of um, emotional trauma having to deal with something like this. Not only is it may affect your bank account, but it may affect other things because now you've got to go through the process whatever that process is, however long it takes and whatever it's gonna cost to fix it. When you could be sitting under a tree enjoying the sunshine, but now you're on the phone for hours dealing with some company to try to fix something that you don't even know where to begin. So I think that's how it can affect someone, um, not just in their bank account or pocketbook, which is I think is where most people tend to think of it. I think it's much bigger and broader than that. And it's your reputation. You know, it's the ability to apply for a, a loan. It's your background check. If you're a teacher, and let's say someone is using your address in a sex offender database, and it comes up that that so you have a, there's so many different things I think that unfortunately people don't really realize how deep it can go if your information is being misused, um, and it just it just a yeah. whole list of things. I mean, I can give you a real world application. Um, all of our cyber warfare employees go through a background check that's about similar to what the government does for a secret clearance. So if your identity gets stolen and your information is, is in places that is a high risk, that could cost you a job with us because, you know, you got a boat in the Bahamas mm -hmm. or you are on a sex offender list and, and stuff like that. I mean, 
that's not you, but that's what comes up and, and mm -hmm. you get passed up. So and more jobs, more companies are starting to do background checks into credit and into financial history and personal history. So, yeah, I don't know what from a legal standpoint that would look like, but I know from a business standpoint, I mean, it could cost you a job. Yeah, when we deal with identity theft in my office, it's always the person is stressed out, usually not quite sure what happened or how it happened or how long it's been going on. So you usually just kind of have to calm them down and let them know there's hope. Yeah. There's always a way to fix it. Just, mm -hmm. you know, hang in there. Let's start at the beginning with, you know, let's look at your credit. Let's look at your bank. Let's check your tax returns. Mm -hmm. um, it gets pretty broad pretty fast. But, yeah, I would say stress is definitely one of the biggest factors mm -hmm. that isn't money, but... No, no, and, it's and I agree with you. It's a big deal, and like, like what you're saying, it's a lot. I see stress, and it can even affect other family members, especially when you have, like, uh, victims that are elderly. It's their kids trying to pick up the pieces and different things like that. But um, in addition, you got to – you have to think about, too, that the problem that I see from a lot of people is, especially with, like, a ID theft affidavit or a packet – Mm -hmm. These people lose their information. They're like, okay, fill out this form. Put all your personal information on these three <laughs> pages and fax <laughs> it to us. And they're like, uh, yeah. And I can tell you, most people are like, you know what? I don't know what was what happened. I don't know what of my identity was taken. But the last thing I want to do is fill this out and send this to pawn first creditors mm -hmm. to try to get rid <laughs> of some title loan that somebody did or some loan that someone did. And they're like, yeah, I'm not putting my personal information because I don't trust anybody now. So then that's the struggle I see at least from me when they're like what do I do and I'm and then I'm going to refer them over to you guys and say <laughs> <laughs> go talk to them thank you <laughs> <laughs> so story time yeah. tell us a story about identity theft that left an impression hypothetically please no names no real yeah. details mm. I just heard one the other day that was pretty devastating it was in it was a situation where a woman uh, had the police show up at her house and to let her know that her mother had done a lot of dastardly deeds in her name and the daughter had to make a decision to testify against her mother which ultimately put her mother in jail for seven years because of this and her mother had been using her information for years and years and years and she just really told the story of how devastating um, that decision that was to make uh, because otherwise she had to take the responsibility on her own and they literally told her either you say this was you or your mom's going to jail. And she said, you know, sorry, <laughs> mom. <laughs> but how horrible is that? <laughs> you know, that's just one. It just I just heard it two days ago, and she, she told it from stage. She told this story, and it was a devastating story. You could just tell how traumatized, you know, she was having to deal with something like that. And um, that was pretty sad. And then other stories that I, I hear here are really to do with children, um, not necessarily from their parents, but from wherever the, the, the thieves are getting the information, it seems like, you know, you're born, you get a social, and then the social's probably already stolen, sitting in some database somewhere, <laughs> waiting to be attached to, you know, a, a name. And as soon as it is, it's like, oh, okay, now we have a, a fake person. So I hear a lot of stories like that, actually, quite often, um, that are pretty devastating. And then my um, credit card was stolen. Someone was buying gas in Florida when I was not in Florida. That was several years ago. And I was like, get out of here. This is before I had the services I have now. And... Um, I was traumatized over that because I had my credit card was in my wallet. <laughs> so I don't even understand how it happened. And, <laughs> and there was nothing that the police w were able to do at that time. I, I, ca I called them and they said, well, we don't know who did it. So just call your bank. And, uh, you know, that was it. And th that was um, those kind of things are traumatizing. So those are just a couple of stories that come to mind. Yeah. Yeah. And just to like add on what she's sure. saying here is there's definitely I see the same thing. Family. And the problem is. In my line of work, when I see a true identity theft, and I don't want to say, you know, online people can grab dates of birth, you can get your social grabbed. Probably the most common, I would say, is credit card information. Now, technically, by statute, that's your personal information, but I'd like, I don't really believe that a 16-digit number with an expiration date is my, but it, it is attached to my bank account, so it could have ramifications, but nowadays, you can usually cut that off, and it's done. But, like she was saying, when you have a true, like, full identity taken that the f th when I see it, it is typically grandma allowed granddaughter, grandson into the house who had a drug problem. They had access to all their uh, tax, tax forms, knew their maiden names, all that stuff. So they just had such a wealth of information. So it is very personal. 
typically w- when I find out, they always know who it is. It's a roommate. They helped out. It's a family member. It's somebody they know. So you're right. You have to go to court. You have to testify against them. Like for someone that's going to do, in my opinion, like the most damage and really go out there with your identity, you know, that's that. But we see all the time like credit cards just taken and things like that. And that's it is traumatizing, but it's nice that in most cases the banks kind of step up. They take it as a loss. Usually after some negotiating, you get your money back. You get a new credit card. You kind of move on with life, and people kind of forget. Yeah. But it it can still have mm-hmm. it can still be damaging as well. But but the family the family aspect is definitely personal, and that that's yeah. That's a struggle when it's someone you know. Yeah. <laughs> so this this one's a little bit different, and I love this story because I tell this one um, every time I go to cybersecurity conferences. Um, there was a guy up in New York who. Um, was doing credit card skimming. So first off, if anyone that has never been to New York, during rush hour, it's it's shoulder to shoulder pretty much on subways and trams and stuff like that. And uh, this guy got a little, there's this tiny computer system called a Raspberry Pi. And it's a tiny little computer about the size of a Game Boy. And you can put different programs and stuff like that on it. And he put a program and some antennas for skimming uh, credit cards. First off, um, the whole chip thing that banks pushed out and said that this is like the new level of security and this is the standard, that was the best thing that ever happened to criminals uh, because that chip is literally radiating your information out. Literally. It's radiating RFID information. So <laughs> I'm like, what? Yeah. But yeah, it's secure. Don't, don't worry. Um, so this guy was pretty was much. sarcasm? well so this guy got a raspberry pi and he put some skimming software on it and had some antennas and stuff like that and he was pretty much walking through the subways of new york just bumping into people and skimming their credit cards um he would get no no one really knows how many he got but when he was caught he had already collected ten thousand credit card numbers so pretty much what he was doing was he'd go out he'd get a batch he'd probably do it for a week or so package that batch up and then go sell it on the dark web and that batch could be broken down. And again, it's just like drugs, right? Sell it wholesale, break it down, and then split it up. Not that I know the process, but you know. <laughs> so the only reason why he was caught, and this is the funny part for me, the only reason why he was caught was because one of the credit cards that he skimmed was happened to be an FBI special agent's credit card. Mm. And so when he went on the dark web and sold it, obviously, as an FBI special agent, your stuff is monitored all over the place. FBI flagged it. They said, what is your credit card doing on the dark web? They ended up finding it in a package of other credit cards, um, and they ended up tracking it back and, and catching him. But if he hadn't happened to scan an FBI credit card number, he would have been doing it. No one knows how much he had already done it. Jerk. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I have two other really, really quick stories I want to share because they're different than any of those. Um, one was I, I, I saw it on the news. It was of an elderly woman who had the police show up at her house because there had been a car accident in which someone had been killed. And the driver's license that was given or they found had her information on it. And so that's why they showed up at her house. So she had to ultimately go through the process of proving that she wasn't her and she wasn't there. And the only way she was able to prove that is because she was in the hospital at the time getting a surgery, getting a procedure. But before wow. it even got to the point of her being able to do that, in her in her words, she had to spend thousands of dollars and countless hours going through the process to try to prove that it wasn't her in that accident at that time that it caused that accident. And and she's just this little old lady and you know, telling this story and she could see how emotional she was about that. And she goes, My driver's license was in my purse. I don't know how, right? And so that's just one other example. And then the other one is tax fraud. And, I mean, you know, I don't even know all the exact numbers, but I think it was a couple years ago that the IRS had admitted that they had paid out like $26 billion in fraudulent tax returns. Our government's so That that number is insane. So to know that, you know, I mean, and and I also heard them say that the best way to avoid that is just to file your taxes before the fees do. File early. File early to try to do it before someone does it for you. Yeah, that <laughs> so is yeah. single-handedly the best, the best advice, advice <laughs> yeah, and, and on and preventing tax fraud. That's File the weird on time. Caveat around, but that's the weird caveat around identity theft is that when your identity gets stolen, you're trying to prove that you aren't you. Yes. You know what I mean? And, and so when, when my identity got stolen and I finally found out and I was trying to go through and fix it, I had addresses in Texas. 
And it's like, I'm talking to them, and they're like, well, how do we know that wasn't you? And it's like, well, it, it wasn't, but how, you know what I mean? Like, how do I prove that I'm not me? You know what I mean? So uh, that's the that's the hard, yeah, well, <laughs> that's the hard caveat, right? I, you know, yeah. I, I ultimately ended up paying off, like, a portion of it and just saying, you know what? It, it was small enough that I'm like, I'm, I'm just going to do this. I was starting the company at the time, so I'm like, I need to get this out of the way. But that was the biggest caveat. You know, right. I got to a point on the phone where I was literally like, so I was asking the, 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 the gal at the collections agency, I go, so how do I prove to you that, that it wasn't me who did something that you are saying that I already did under my information? How does we that work? We yeah. use the term <laughs> you were guilty until proven innocent. Yeah. It's pretty complicated. We deal with a wide variety of identity theft issues, starting from student loans to vehicles, multiple vehicles being sold to one person from the same dealership in the same day. Yeah, they didn't do it. So, you know, it gets pretty complicated pretty quick. So the key is do something sooner rather than later. Uh, people, when they try to do it on their own, they usually don't start with the police. And that's usually the best place to start. But let's talk, talk about stuff that's happening in the world of credit. Mm. Um, Kenyatta, what do you, wha- how would you classify the difference between a credit freeze and a credit lock? Mm. Well, a credit lock is easier to unlock than a freeze. Uh, to thaw a freeze, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'll somewhere that way. Because a credit lock, you can c- typically it's pretty easy for you to lock and unlock your credit. Like you can unlock it. Uh, to allow someone to run your credit. Let's say if you're trying to buy a car, you can do that from an app on your phone or something like that. Um, a freeze is a little more involved and it kind of freezes everything and it's harder to unlock it. And I think there's some legalities that are involved around a freeze as well uh, that don't aren't involved with a lock. And sometimes companies charge you to do a freeze, uh, like Equifax and things like that, which I don't think they should be charging for that. They currently don't, um, in light of the data breach. <laughs> oh well, <laughs> but yeah, you know, you uh, yeah, with the credit <laughs> lock, you know, you can do it from an app. Take one of the credit bureaus, mm-hmm. Equifax, Experian, TransUnion. Yeah. They've got an app, and you can lock and unlock with a swipe on your phone. Whereas with the credit freeze, it's going to freeze it across all three bureaus, and you're not applying for credit until you unfreeze. Um, and sometimes they charge you to unfreeze. So freezing and unfreezing isn't That's great. But I would say if you're if you have a kid or a minor, freeze their freaking credit and renew that stuff. Because <laughs> now their stuff won't get, um, they won't be victims of identity theft, at least on the credit side. Banking is a whole separate issue, and so is medical debt. <laughs> so um, anything to add? Credit freeze, credit lock, any suggestions from you two? I don't really deal with that. so I don't know. Yeah, you're I'm on the enforcement yeah. side. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not fully knowledgeable on how. Because you're the business side. Well, I know Equifax sucks. I know that. <laughs> I, you know, Just throwing it out there. Well, look, e- Equifax, the breach of Equifax was a, was a blatant example of how companies got so much information. I mean, you know, look, it's one thing if you're a hospital or if you're a bank. It's another thing if you're something like Equifax where your literal job is to hold people's private information that, by the way, no one ever actually agrees to like there's never actually a point where we say okay i'm okay with equifax having this information they, they kind of just have it and maybe it's one of those necessary evils that's that's arguable but i think if you're going to be a company and one of three by the way because there's so there's virtually no competition i think if you're going to do that um yeah you got a lot more responsibility than that and we know our company knows personally what happened at equifax and and that's i think what makes me even more frustrated because if you if you know some of the in-depth details of what actually happened at Equifax, it would make you pretty angry. Are you going to tell us? Do you want me to? <laughs> Can you? Can you? <laughs> Basic, basically what happened at Equifax. So what happened at Equifax is that you had security on infrastructure and, and servers and systems and stuff like that. And the manufacturers of these servers and systems, they'll find a vulnerability in them. And then they'll put out what's called a patch. So they'll, they'll put out a patch that updates that security, and now it, it's not vulnerable to that thing anymore. Think of it like getting a vaccine. You know, every time a new vaccine comes out, you should go get it. So you're not vulnerable to, like, smallpox, right? Well, when you're, when you're a company as big as Equifax, doing things like patching takes time. Mm-hmm. You know, a system might be down, a system might be interrupted, it might have to be limited in its production as it's updating or doing whatever it needs to do. And that's, and that's not concerning if it fails, because sometimes uh, a patch will come out, you update it, and then the patch did something else to something else, and your systems stop working mm-hmm. now, and you got to go reconfigure stuff. And so 
a company as big as Equifax, their money moves by the second. So being down for an hour is a tangible cost. Mm-hmm. Having a network down for a couple of days is a very tangible cost. Well, pretty much what happened was that a patch came out and the manufacturer said, you need to update your servers. You're going to be vulnerable to this. And when companies that big get it, what they do sometimes is they weigh out how, and this is the really annoying part because you're the victim here. They weigh out how much would it be to have the downtime of patching versus how much could it cost if we get breached as a result of that patch. And somewhere along the line, Equifax decided, you know what, the cost of potentially getting breached is lower than the cost of potentially having a failure as a result of that patch. Or it's just not enough that we need to do it right now. We can wait. So they decided to wait and keep waiting and keep waiting. And then the breach happened. And then they decided, okay, well, the worst case scenario is that we're going to get sued. Well, what's the cost of going full force into this breach versus the cost of just letting it run out and it come out and we don't have to worry about it? And the cost of that was lower. Now, remember, to them, they just look at numbers. To them, it's it's $100 billion versus $125 billion, right? To you, it's, it's your identity. Mm-hmm. So they literally decided your identity is not worth enough for us to actually protect it in this instance, so we're going to hold off on it. Uh, wow. And then – you know, now you have what happened. And they actually, believe it or not, as much as it cost them, because it did cost them a lot of money, as much as it cost them, it, was still it did not cost yeah. them as much as it would have cost them to do the right thing. So they probably feel they got a deal. Pretty much. <laughs> you know, it was, it, you know, so for example, they got, they got breached. And then at first, you know, they said, you know, everyone is entitled to a class action lawsuit, which was great. Right, but that's literally what half a third of the country was yeah. eligible and for it a class was really everybody. Lawsuit. Let's be real. Yeah, realistically. <laughs> so pretty much, look, let's just be conservative. Yeah, a third of the country was eligible right. to sue Equifax. Well, then they put up that page, you know, to mm-hmm. check if your credit was breached, mm-hmm. which seems fair, right? Except in fine print, it says if you use that, you're voiding your ability to class action lawsuit. You're so they're saying, hey, you can check to see if we screwed up, but by checking to see if we screwed up, you can't hold us accountable for screwing up. So, so they, they did that for a while. So, uh, eventually, the, 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 the government actually came down and said, look, you do have to pay something. Mm-hmm. And then they got the settlement of billions and billions of dollars, which sounds really great until everyone realized that they, so many people got breached that that billions and billions of dollars literally amounted to everyone getting like 120 bucks or 150 bucks or something like That's that. That's before taxes. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, so congratulations. Your, your identity may be lost. You may have literally screwed – and you know this. Is a, oh, you yeah. may have literally screwed up your credit for the mm-hmm. next 15, 20 years, rest of your life maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's cool because you got $120. Um, so that was next step, okay? So to me, I thought that was a slap in the face. So that's what you're telling me I'm worth, 120 bucks. Great. Then they realized that too many people were actually going for the 120 bucks, okay? So then they said, well, we're going to make, uh, you know, like five years or a lifetime of credit monitoring. Which, which is again, already free. Which, well, it's stupid. <laughs> Why would I let you monitor my credit if you just got breached, <laughs> right? Who you want monitoring your credit. Right, exactly. So, so you know, it's kind of like if somebody kicked your door in and robbed your house, and then they were like, okay, look, fine, let's make a deal. I'll protect your house from now on. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it doesn't make sense. So, so then they did that for a while, and so they kind of moved people away from it, from getting the 125. But then they just came out and said, hey, uh, yeah, look, we j- literally just don't have the money to pay out everybody. Um, so try again. My bad. Sorry. <laughs> and, and that's it. And that's yeah. how it all ended. They just they were able to walk away. So you got to understand that a company like Equifax, they already predetermined that from the day that they discovered that breach. They already knew we're going to spend this much on lawyers. We're going to spend this much on a settlement where it's going to last us this long. And uh, we're we're back to running now. So, so maybe a couple Equifax people. Equifax sucks. Yeah, so <laughs> Equifax sucks. I mean, you know, it's it's a blatant example of of you know users not having really very little control over their data, um, yeah. and and a company was actually big enough to say, yeah, we don't really give a crap. Mm. That's insane. So, are you, you pissed know. off? Yes, I am. <laughs> I am seething with rage. Actually, uh, yeah, we dealt with a lot of people who who are always victims of identity theft that's just what you see in consumer rights it's just like one of the big tier items that people come to with credit problems is mixed file issue where someone else's information is on your credit report or someone had their information stolen usually by a family member 
and they've got to deal with that for years. And so they always want to get the police involved, and I think they need to. I think they should always file a police report um, because that's step one of proving it wasn't you. But aside from that, uh, the FTC released the identitytheft.gov website to walk people through fixing their identity theft problems. Um, I've been on the website, but I'll reserve my comments and let Kenyatta, who's <laughs> chuckling over here, uh, tell me her thoughts on that website. Well, I think it's adorable. Yes, that um, there is this. Oh, and you have. See, yeah, it's <laughs> so cute. We got the printout. So it's, it's thank beautiful. you. It's well prepared. It's, I love the color schemes. It's wonderful. Um, it's very and, soothing. And you know, and what it does is better than nothing. And that's what I'll say. But now the person has to take the time they don't have to go through these steps, which is very lengthy, time consuming, and time is money and it's confusing to try to resolve something like this. So this works if you don't have someone to do it for you. But most people don't wanna do this, don't have the time to do this, and will not do this because it will frustrate them, even though it's designed to help them and it's better than nothing. So I'm glad for that because some we need something. Um, so when I look at this, I think, hmm, I'm sure glad I have ID Shield because they will do all that for me. <laughs> <laughs> so that's exactly what I think of that. You have two choices. Either you do it yourself or you have someone else do it or you do nothing. And I guess that is actually a choice. Yeah, That's I mean, a terrible choice. I was, I was talking to Kenyatta about that. And I mean, she actually pointed out to me that the statistical probability of one of my employees getting their identity stolen, because we're now reaching a number of employees where that statistical viability is becoming very real, right? It's real enough that we're, we're going to see it. And she outlined to me how much time it takes people and how it can take time away from work and how, again, we could lose people because of that. Um, because when, if we go to a bank, if we go to a, a, a hospital, if we go to an energy facility and, and we say, okay, this is the people that's going to serve you, and then, but those people are getting breached themselves, uh, you know, that doesn't work for, our, for, our, for the product that we're providing. So she literally outlined that to me and, I, and you know, she told me the price of what Legal Shield will cost for my employees. And I went back to my CFO and I said, hey, look, the cost of just giving all of this to our employees, like as just an employee perk, that's no charge to them, is less than the cost of what will happen if one of them actually gets their identity stolen. Mm -hmm. So let's just go ahead and do it. Makes sense. Yeah. Best boss ever. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean, uh, our city just within the last couple of years included it as well as one of the benefits. So that's nice having a city that's okay to include this benefit that you can sign up for and be protected. So. Yeah. That's nice, yeah, I agree. I think that uh, Legal Shield's ID Shield is hands down the best product on the market for preventative care. Um, I'm a big fan, and I do consumer rights. Like, <laughs> I actually like fix the problems after they happen because they didn't have someone like Legal Shield beforehand. Right. <laughs> so, uh, big plug in case you missed it. Uh, <laughs> So identity theft rings is, you know, something that I see a lot in the news. And um, do you have anything to say about that, Detective? Me? I mean, I think it's never going to go away. I mean, realistically, mm -hmm. it's, it's never going to go away. We're seeing things change. Um, it's constantly morphing and moving around. I mean, even now, you, if you go online and Google, they have, like, the Felony Lane Gang. And it's started in southern Florida, and it's a group where – a lot of women are targeted especially, but you're seeing they go to gyms, they go to um, uh, hiking trails, paths like that. They'll break into a car, steal a purse. They know you're away from your car for an hour or so. Then they'll either have a field day with your credit cards and your identification right then and there. Or what we're actually seeing is they'll kind of have a field day with your credit card, and then they'll leave, and they'll actually get people to put on wigs, and then they'll come back as much as a year later looking just like you, pull up to the window with maybe an old checkbook, and, you know, I mean, you canceled everything, you thought everything was good, and then all of a sudden a year later you're like, welcome back. And oh. it's somebody looking just like you, and I'm looking at the video, and, yeah, I mean, if you check it out, Felony Lane Gang, it's hit, like, every state now, and it got its name from, they go to the banks, and they hit the outside drive through window, you know, and that's... That's pretty dumb. And it's in a rental car, so you look, it's always a nice car, you're like, wow, it's a nice car, you know. You know, I'm always used to seeing kind of like low grade, like you give your credit card to the server, you wonder if they do a quick photograph, uh, you know, front and back, things like that. I see, but it's changing. And I see, obviously, when you have a theft ring, you're going to have more organization. I mean, even with the skimmer rings, it's the same thing. I mean, they're coming out of 
whether Eastern European, most of the skimmer rings. So you're picking up on things like that. The more organized they are, just a little bit scarier they are, I would think for sure. Yeah. But I don't see them going <laughs> away at all. Yeah, from a, from a business perspective, um, the dark web, there's, there's this new term that got coined up last year, which is uh, cybercrime as a service. So, ah! so it, well, it, it used to be that you had to actually, like, when I started off in this, back in my day, which I'm not that old, but back in my day, you know, when I started off in hacking, you needed to know how to code. You know what I mean? You needed to know how to create malware. Like, I was 12 years old coding viruses and coding malware and building that stuff. You don't have to know. So, it, so pretty much the ability to do that was limited to a pretty significant number of people, right? You know, you know you're looking for someone who knows some stuff. Now you don't have that anymore. You don't need that anymore. You can literally go on the dark web, and there are organizations out there who you can buy a $29.99 DDoS. So if you piss me off and I want to shut down your website, I can literally go on the dark web, pay $29.99 because it's on sale. I give them your website name. I pay them, and then they handle it all for me. Rude. Sit back and watch. Um, there's ransomware as a service. So these, com you know, these, these, and I mean, uh, I'd say companies because they're businesses. They're organized crime businesses. Um, you can go online, and some of them are actually free. So they say, you give us the target, we'll go do the ransom, and we split the difference. You know, you take 30, I take 70, since I'm doing the hard work. You know what I mean? So it's it's become commoditized is, is what's happening. And, and any time you have something that becomes commoditized, obviously you open the door for more people to come in. Well, when you have a crime that becomes commoditized, uh, I'm sure, Detective, you can speak on it. It becomes uh, really difficult to, to, to deal with because now, you know, the, the, the potential suspect that you're looking for has just expanded. The demographics of that suspect has expanded exponentially uh, where it used to be, okay, we're looking for a guy who knows how to code, who maybe has a background in computer science. Now it could literally be a pissed-off kid in a basement who just went on the dark web and bought it. Yeah, I mean, we're seeing, like he's saying, we're seeing we had a bunch of gangbangers out of California and this talk about tech. You know, these guys used to get arrested for robberies and things like that and do a bunch of years in prison, and now they found out about the dark web. They can log on. They can buy a bulk of credit cards, like 10, 50, 100 of them. They can get a computer, a skimmer device, re-encode some gift cards, have a field day, and half the time when they get caught, it's white collar, so bad. You know what I mean? Maybe do a year in jail, two years, then they're back out, and and I've caught them before, the groups, and, and like you said, they're getting more organized because now you got gang members teaching, hey, do this, you won't go to jail as long. It's not like getting caught with a gun where you're going to, or a third strike or anything like that. So, you know, it's non nonviolent crime. So that's we have seen the transition. It's yeah. it's scary. Yeah, and legislation is still playing catch up. And they need cyber. to move a little faster. Yep. Yeah, sure. well, because let's be honest, who's making the legislation? <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, it's, it's yeah. people who probably use a computer once a week or their assistant does it, right? So, you know, legislation is still trying to catch up and then, but it's how you write the laws, right? I mean, I, for example, when I tell people about my background now, I tell them, don't do the things that I did when I started off. Because back when I was hacking, you hack a company, they hire you, right? Now you hack a company, you go to jail, <laughs> you know what I mean? But, but legislation is still trying to catch up as to how, you know, how to make laws around cybersecurity. So it's, it's, um, it's changing. It's, it's evolving. It's changing. And it's only going to evolve more as technology becomes more and more intricate in our lives. All right. Well, last question. So uh, what can people do to try to avoid being a victim <laughs> of identity theft? Let's start with you, Pinata. Okay. So, so very simply, um, of course, you should do your due diligence and change your passwords and shred your documents because that's cute and uh, makes you feel good. Uh, however, I'm sure you've heard that none of that's really going to matter when it comes down to them getting your information and using it. So what I know and understand is that the most important thing you could do is to have a monitoring service to monitor all of your personal and private and financial information for you and your entire family. Um, a company like ID Shield plug because we're going to monitor all of that information, including your social media. So what we basically do is monitor it to make sure if it shows up in all these bad places or someone changes your address without you knowing about it or someone goes and files a credit report or tries to get insurance in your name or you know put your address on the social media site or a payday loan site or a sex offender database, you'll get notified. And that early detection, I think, is the first step and trying to mitigate it becoming a disaster. So, you know, handle the, the, the cough before it becomes pneumonia. But if it's not monitored, you're gonna find out too late. And then if you do have an issue and you have a monitoring service like ours, then we use the private investigators to do whatever it takes as long as it takes to restore your identity 
for life. And like he mentioned, the officer mentioned, a year later, they're going to use it again, and they're going to use it again and again and again, and we will always fix it. We will always put it back like it never happened. So to me, that is what I do for my family because there's, I, I don't have time to be mon watching everything, and I can't. It doesn't matter anyway. You need to have something in place to monitor it and then have a restoration plan for when it's going to happen because it will. It will. <laughs> what about you, detective? I would probably just echo that. I mean, as you can do all this, you know, they tell you what at the gas pumps, check. I mean, you could do, you could try to be as safe as you can, cover up pin numbers, but at the end of the day, who knows how how quickly it's passing through different, you know, and there's so many companies involved. I'm finding out, like, when you swipe your card at a restaurant, there's also a company that there's individual companies in between yeah. that do approvals and things like that. So you have no idea who, where it's, where yeah. the link in the chain is actually being passed. So. Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to confirm what the detective just talked about is what I talked about earlier. You have no idea where your data yeah. goes. You know, people are getting to a point now where they say, well, I just went to a restaurant. Yeah, but your credit card went to five different companies <laughs> just mm -hmm. as part of that transaction. And yeah. one of them got breached. The restaurant didn't even get breached. One of them got breached. And so you've literally never heard of this restaurant, but they've got your credit card number, they got your address, they got your name. You've never done direct business with them. What I would tell, what I tell people, and this is a little bit more forward, but I, I tell people the beautiful thing about, the, the hard thing about capitalism is that things like Equifax happened, where they made a money decision versus a right decision. The beautiful thing about capitalism, though, is that you can also flip the script, which is if enough people start asking, where is my data going, then these companies are gonna get forced to either start being more transparent or to start actually reacting. Um, and, and I think we're nearing that. I think we're nearing the point where consumers are starting to become more aware and, and they should start asking that same question. Just like if somebody comes up to you on the street and says, hey, do you wanna take a picture with me? You're probably gonna go, well, where's it going, right? So, um, so yeah, so start asking, where is my data going? You know, and, 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 and uh, by the way, ask it in plain English. Because one of the things that companies do is they'll put a lot of legal terms around things and, and it will shroud it to make it not understandable, just like Instagram did with that model. Ask it in plain English. Take that five, 10 minute, 20 minute call and ask and say, hey, where does my information actually go and who's gonna have it? And who gets held responsible if it gets breached, by the way? Um, you may start realizing that people are a lot more uh, th than you think about their, their confidence and their own security. That is a good point. All right. Um, well, any last thoughts on this fun topic? I think we've kind of covered everything. I just, but want a, I just want like a badge like this detective. I know it is so you. cool. Like, <laughs> it's so cool, man. I want to walk around with a badge. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, uh, thank you, Kenyatta Diali and Detective Eckert for being here and giving us the legitimate perspective. And how can our listeners contact you? Kenyatta. Are you looking at me? Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, my name is Kenyatta Turner, and you can go to my website that Legal Shield actually provides for me. It's KenyattaTurner.WeAreLegalShield.com, and uh, I'm also on LinkedIn. I love LinkedIn. You can definitely find me there. LinkedIn queen. LinkedIn queen. Hashtag LinkedIn is magical. And uh, you can even call me. I don't even care. 602-367-1069. Oh, my I phone see how this is going to end. <laughs> 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 Whatever. You can find it easy. <laughs> and, uh, Detective, what is the phone number for the Goodyear Police Department? Okay. I'll just give you <laughs> he was I'll like, I'm not going to the phone number. Yeah, non-emergency. 623-932-1220. But, yeah, you can always ask. You can email me. I mean, I'll try to answer any questions. Obviously, I'm working for Goodyear, so yeah. I'll try to, if you're a Goodyear resident, it's going to be a bigger thing, but I'll try to help anybody out. <laughs> Thank <have> you. <laughs> yeah, so you can, for Black Shield, you can go right on our website, blackshieldcyber.com. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, Dioli Alexander. My name's a little bit weird. My first name is spelled D-I-O-L-Y. So if you type that in, I should be the only one who comes up. So Dioli Alexander <laughs> on LinkedIn. Um, you can shoot me an email. Uh, my first initial, D, Alexander. Alexander spelled A-L-E-X-A-N-D-R-E at blackshieldcyber.com. Feel free to reach out with any questions. And um, business owners here in Phoenix, I'll do this just for Business Radio X. If you shoot me an email or connect with me on LinkedIn and you mention Business Radio X, I'll have either myself or one of my cyber warfare lead guys reach out to you and answer any questions you have. Ooh, yeah. that's gold right there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just for you. <laughs> Well, thanks again, Phoenix Business Radio X, Kenyatta Turney, 
Turner, Diali, yeah. Alexander, and Detective Eckert, and to you listening. And also thank you to our sponsor, AZ Credit Law Group, providing legal services to help improve credit. You can visit us online at azclg.com. And join us next time on November 7th at 3 p.m. for Credit Reporting, Episode 3, Credit Repair. And I'm Rochelle Fulton, legitimately yours. Thank you.